you're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Julia, did you know that in the Spider-Verse comics, there is a um, Spider-Man who's a cowboy and has a spider horse named, like, Widow, and they have what's called a rider sense, <laughs> where they can, like, sense each other in time and space. I, I really need to know, when you say spider horse... Like a normal horse? Normal horse, but wears a Spider-Man mask and was bitten by the same spider that bit this Spider-Man cowboy. Incredible. Yes. I I love that. Uh-huh. Oh man. You know who else's spidey senses were tingling? Scott McCall. Scott McCall's. Um, has some real, real Spider-Man moment. He's a superhero. Yeah. As we've discussed many times. We d- I don't even need to bring it up. I feel like no. the second I'm like Spider-Man, people are like, Christian, we get it. Actually, me talking on this <laughs> podcast, people are like, Christian, we get it. <laughs> me talking in our apartment. <laughs> Christian, I get it. But you know what? Um, I certainly encourage all of those things, and so uh, you love to see it. Fair. We love to see <laughs> it. I mean, I personally love to hear me speak. That's why I have a podcast. Uh, ditto. Yeah. Yes. That's... Mm-hmm. The millennial culture. <laughs> what not that why every person has a podcast? At least in part. Yeah. Part part like intellectual discovery and part, I just love the sound of my own voice. It's less about the sound of my own voice. It's more about me being like, oh, that's a really inspired idea because I'm the only one thinking that hard about Teen Wolf. <laughs> Let me tell you that um, my mom listens to this podcast despite not having watched Teen Wolf ever. And yes, I read her iTunes review. Yes. Um, well, she said one time that she really loves that I have a podcast because it must be what Ari Shapiro's mom feels like when she hears him on the radio because uh, she could just hear my voice whenever she wants, which is like the nicest thing she's ever said to me. That can't be the nicest thing she's ever said no, to me, but, but it is there. very sweet. It's very sweet. Yeah. My mom keeps trying to tell people about this podcast, <laughs> but like doesn't really have the language because... She knows of Teen Wolf. She watched me watch Teen Wolf when I was in high school, um, but she cannot remember the name of the <laughs> podcast. Uh, she cannot remember how to tell people to watch it or listen to it. Uh, yeah, she's trying. Thank you, Mom. I really, I mean, like, I love my mom, obviously, but um, she's not our best marketing supervisor. <laughs> well, I've told pretty much everyone that I work with, and um, I, I work at the freaking art institute so everyone is like very cool and sophisticated and i'm like i have a podcast about teen wolf sorry Um, okay (laughs) i don't know what that was about anyway speaking of a podcast about teen wolf welcome to the teen wolf rewolf podcast a podcast where we podcast about about teen Teen wolf Wolf. (laughs) we're happy to be back clearly clearly back in like what it's it's been like three days since we last recorded since i was so ill that's true but the, it feels good to be back to like consistency after um all of the christmas hiatus european gallivants yes yeah it's exciting it's exciting uh to anybody who voted in our poll about the worst british food obviously the answer is to just throw the united kingdom in the garbage <laughs> You know what? They're on their way there by themselves. Yeah, I mean, they're doing it. I mean, like, America's also doing that. But it's funny because somebody submitted a meme that was like, life would be so much better without America. And I'm like, that is a meme uh, made for and by people who our country has actively oppressed, not the British who colonized this country. (laughs) You made us. We are essentially your own problem. Yes. Yeah. So... Uh, I, what is that line from Electra? I am in the shape you made me. Filth begets filth. Wow, that's like 
very inspired. That's Anne Carson's translation. Of course it's inspired. Of course it is. Of yep. course it is. We love her. We love her. Uh, we also love Teen Wolf and should maybe stick. To, we're never going <laughs> to truly stick to the subject. No. But we should introduce the episode we're talking about today, which is episode three of season two called Ice Pick. Yes, it was directed by Tim Andrew, whom we've seen before, uh, The Purge Man. Uh, yeah, a lot less water in this episode, yes. I noticed. No, yeah, hardly any. Um, and then it was written by um, Luke Passmore, who uh, has worked on The Walking Dead and also Teen Wolf. So keeping with the theme of uh, horror writers and horror directors mm-hmm. for season two, which is appropriate. Yeah, they were scouting well. Yeah. Was The Walking Dead on during season two of Teen Wolf? When did The Walking Dead start? I don't... Here, full time. You know, I feel like it's been on for a really long time because, you know, the decade has just ended and for all of you who are living under a rock and someone was writing about how long The Walking Dead's been on TV. Uh, It's actually been on for a full decade. It started in 2010. That is insane. That's like lost. Were you a lost person? No. My older sister was obsessed. She has like DVD box sets. That was like pre me being uh, allowed to watch television and was not something that I like heard about uh, in passing when I was allowed to watch television that I was like, yeah, I want to see that. I remember liking the first season and then it was too mystical. (laughs) You know, I feel like it suffered from that same, I mean, like people were so angry about the ending of Lost. Mm-hmm. Similarly to how people were so angry about the ending of Game of Thrones. Like you can't win if you've gone on for that long and you have not. Wrong. But the ending of well, Mad Men is the best ending of any television show of all time. Christian loves Mad Men. For all of you who were curious, uh, you you missed the vote on Mad Men. I'm not weird for being obsessed with it. Everybody no, no, no. loves it. I, I was just clarifying yeah. for the people at no, home. No, but the ending is unbelievably spectacular. And it goes through the whole, like, season five is shitty thing, because every show has a shitty season five, but then it really just, like, picks back up and is, is ends amazingly. Fair enough. I know, I know, you've told me the ending, so I do know, like, it's... Yes. It's good. It is good. Yeah. Should we do a Mad Men podcast <laughs> after Team Wolf's over? Let us know. We're only going to do shows that started uh, way too long ago and that Julia's watching on like the tail end of the hype. Yeah, exactly. Well, we did have an idea about another podcast about uh, the demise of Joss Whedon. So let us know. If we'll do like a five part series. In. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so back to episode three, Ice Pick. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember who went first on our recap? I did. Oh, Oh my god. Because I went first on the Grinch, and then you went first on episode one, and we're on episode three, so there you go. gummit. Fine. It'll be okay. Will it? Yes. Okay, I'm going to try really hard to get through the majority of the episode, even if that means skipping stuff, because we just really have not been able to make it happen. There's so... There's all, so much. It's like the part in The Princess Bride... When he's like, there is too much. I must sum up. Buttercup is marrying Humperdinck in little less than half an hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how it goes. 100%. I feel I like I had to watch Bride. The Princess Bride three times for three separate classes in college and then write essays about it. So I'm very prepared for that to be a bonus. Episode. I never had to watch it for school. It's just like a. I had to watch it fave. for film, I had to watch it for stage combat and then like mm. analyze the fight patterns. Um, and I think one other class. I don't remember. It's a good, it's a good... Un classique. Yeah. Yeah. The book, I've never been able to get into the book, but we're just stalling because... We are because I don't want to do this. (laughs) I hate doing the recap. Okay. Well, would it 
I mean, I know the recap was my idea when we were like hashing out how to set up the episode structure. Oh my God. I should have known that that was going to bite me right in the ass. Okay. But here's the thing. Um, I was going to offer to help by telling you what's the first thing that happens in this episode. I know what the first thing that happens in this episode Oh, great, because I've completely forgotten. Oh, okay. All right. Great. Ready? Hold on. No, wait. Yeah, okay, I'm ready. Okay, three, two, one, go. So Allison's at the gas station, and then she gets abducted, and then she ends up in the hail house. Her dad is like, all right, get out of these chains. She's like, okay, it takes two and a half hours. And then um, they're in gym class, and... Uh, they're climbing a rock wall in the middle of their gym class, which doesn't make any fucking sense to you do that in your high school. And then Erica tries to go back and climb later because she fails, and then she has a seizure, and then Derek approaches her in the hospital and is like, I'll make you a werewolf. And then um, Scott is starting to realize that like Erica's the one, and then Stiles uh, buys the keys to the ice rink off of Boyd, who is the Zamboni driver, which is an awesome <laughs> character trait. And so they're ice skating, and like Liddy has this crazy freak out about Peter, and Jackson is really mad because he thinks Liddy is the reason that he can't be a werewolf. And then... And um, uh, 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 Erica gets transformed, and then there's a showdown in the ice rink because Scott's like, Derek, stop doing this to people. Like, you can't change Boyd. And then um, uh, Deaton and Scott have like a convo at the end about like Scott's like time as a werewolf. Five whole seconds left. Ha ha! What did I miss though? That's a great question. I I wasn't like nodding along and thinking, oh, oh, she missed that one thing. Like there are small details, but I think that that. Oh no, you missed one big thing. Okay, well then you'll have to catch yeah. up. Okay. Gotcha. Can are, do. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Um, uno, dos, tres. Okay, so lights up. Allison is filling up her car um, and gets abducted, and her dad plays this really creepy voice recording of Derek, question mark. And then was Derek, too. I'm so confused. And then um, she manages to make it out because they're starting her training. Da-da-da. Um, they're in gym class. Erica has a seizure on the rock wall. Or no, later she has a seizure on the rock wall, and Scott goes to save her. Um, Victoria, Allison's mom, is like convinced that she and Scott are still seeing each other, and so she slashes her own arm up and then goes to the hospital so Mama McCall can she can have a conversation with her. Um, they go to the ice rink, and then Lydia sees uh, Wolfsbane coming out of the ice, but it's not real. She's hallucinating. She screams, um, and then they come back to the ice rink because. Boyd is the Zamboni driver, and Scott's figured out that Derek is going to turn him next um, because he turned to Erica earlier in the episode. And uh, Isaac shows back up, so we know that he's alive and well. Um, and then they fight, and uh, Scott loses to Derek, and Boyd uh, has already been bitten. I missed a whole lot, but I feel like... I don't notice you missing a whole lot, but I was also trying to think of all the stuff that I missed while you were going, so maybe I was like... I think we got it. I think we got most of it. Yeah. I feel like this was not a content heavy episode. No, but some major things happen. Yeah. Um, like two new werewolves in Beacon Hills. I know. Crazy. Um, and we're going to talk about all these new things that happen through the theme this week of desperation. And I would like to add (laughs) that we watched this episode and I was like, Julia, I know what the theme is going to be. Like no suggestions from you. And she was like, no, I know what the theme is going to be. No suggestions from you. And then we came to the conclusion of the same theme. So it must've been very prevalent (laughs) in this episode, which uh, is uh, desperation. All of these characters just desperate, getting real desperate here. I relate. Beacon Hills. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Especially because I forgot to watch this episode last night, so I was watching it on my phone in a pret-a-manger, uh, eating tomato soup. 
So I really was under the delusion that you were going to come home, we were going to watch together and then record. And then you were like, oh, I watched at lunch. And I was like, you did not have to. Uh, Well, because I didn't want to come home uh, late and be like, we got to watch the episode because I didn't know if you'd done it. So no, I I was trying to be prepared. That is so kind that you thought (laughs) that I would be prepared. Um, Well, then I'm glad I told you that I did that before I came home. Yeah. So you had time. Yeah. So it all worked out. Yeah, and uh, we get to talk about desperation. I know. In Teen Wolf, of which there is much. Yes. Who do you want to start talking about? I mean, I think the clear answer is Erica. This is an episode about kind of exclusively her desperation. Yes. Everyone else is desperate in different ways, but like the episode focuses more specifically on her needs than others i would say that the two people who really stood out to me in terms of desperation and also just uh in terms of like overall performance in the episode is erica and jackson um i thought colton haynes was bad oh yes i have lots of notes about that um and i don't necessarily always think it's the smartest idea for me to sit here and be like critiquing people's acting but like it was a lot of it felt very forced (laughs) and it was very uncomfortable um but nothing was being produced organically (laughs) No, no, no. It was just so awkward. There's a lot and of like <gasps> breaths. Because, but the, the thing that is bothersome about that is it's the same choice that he keeps making over and over again. And so when we see it, we're kind of like, oh, this shtick. You're like, I get again. it. Okay. Um, but yeah, let's talk about Erica because yeah. she is, I'm not going to say the star of this episode, but she does a, a, a lot. Focal point. Yes. Focal point. Excellent. Um, so we get introduced to Erica um on the rock wall basically mm-hmm. um she's freaking out as you would be because did you have a rock climbing day i didn't take high school gym but i'm assuming that does not exist i had to take one year of high school gym my teachers could not have cared less we invented ultimate badminton and played that all year i got out of uh gym because i was on a varsity sports team mm. but that varsity sports team was show choir. So <laughs> my sister had to like write a letter to the principal, um, basically demanding to not be in gym because she danced like four times a week. And they were like, oh, psh, that's not a sport. She was serious. Um, dance is a sport. Dance is a sport. That's why show choir is varsity. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So that struck me as odd. Also, what does coach Finstock teach? Economics? <laughs> in theory. Gym? But then also gym. You, uh, you actually need like different degrees for those to teach those two things. Yes. Uh, very different skill sets. You kind of, you either need to be like an exercise physiologist to do gym mm-hmm. or like a trainer, like having done like kinesiology or to teach economics, presumably you might want to understand an economics, economics degree. Uh-huh. Is Coach Finstock an untouched genius (laughs) you know he kind of has that like mad mad hatter the hair genius yep exactly um i don't know there but he's obviously not a genius because i do want to talk about this uh just in the way that no teen wolf writer has ever done any research on anything and Uh, neither do we but it is particularly egregious on their part on their part (laughs) because at least sometimes i come in with like general knowledge yeah like Uh, about rock climbing or about epilepsy in this case Mm -hmm. so if uh i know from personal experience if you are supervising a minor 
who uh, experiences grand mal seizures, which is the kind of seizure where you shake, because a lot mm-hmm. of seizures are like what you call absent seizures, and it's often what people with epilepsy will experience. And those are really hard to notice, actually. They are. Yeah. Um, it'll often look like people are just spacing out. A grand mal seizure is clearly what Erica suffers from. Apparently, she has had more than one in her time in high school, as she says later in the episode. There is no goddamn way an educator would, A, not be educated about the fact that she experiences grand mal seizures, or would ever put her in a situation where she's lifted off the ground. I, like, we, I had a, a, a student once when I was teaching horseback riding who had grand mal seizures, and we couldn't even put her on a horse even just to walk around because, like, that is how crazy dangerous they are. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, Coach, she has epilepsy. Coach would know. You know what's, like, crazy about that is if we're talking about the fact that Coach um, – you know, is the coach of the lacrosse team. He teaches economics and also teaches phys ed. The implication I think is that like, it's a small school, it's a small town. And therefore you need one person to like fill all of these different needs. It's clearly not. There's a downtown to Beacon Hills that has a condo building Mm -hmm. later on. So, um, and Beacon Hills is a large school. So one, you should have a different PE teacher, but two, like, even if even in a large school, you often don't have a large number of students with those kinds of disabilities, so you absolutely would know. Yeah. So either way, it doesn't make any sense. Yes. And obviously she doesn't seize under his supervision. He, she later has that problem because she wants to go and prove herself. Uh, but she should never have been in this position where she felt like she needed to prove herself anyway. Also, a little note on Erica. And like in her character, a lot of her desperation comes from the way that people treat her disability. Um, Which seems egregious to me. When everyone laughs at her, I was like, it never, never. When people are laughing when she gets off the rock wall, if that happened in, and I remember, like high school students are mean, man, I remember. But if something like that happened, nobody would be laughing. And if one person was laughing, it would be a boy. (laughs) Yeah. And there's also the implication that most of these kids have gone to school with each other for a long time. So they would all know about her disability and typically in situations like that kids are less mean than you would expect them to be mm-hmm. because they have this crazy thing called empathy i know um yeah i like i can't imagine i, I think that i think it is an interesting thing to pose erica's character as being desperate because she experiences a chronic illness or a disability I, I guess i don't know what you qualify epilepsy as are they one and the same i'm um, not sure not yeah, in all cases. Can't but answer that question. But. I can't either. Mm-hmm. If anybody has thoughts on the subject or literature for me yeah. to read, that would be great. Uh, it's it, it's interesting because that thing that is something that is very isolating. Um, it would make her feel. She obviously feels physically weak. She has bad, horrible, you know, symptoms from her medication, which helps her manage her epilepsy. But I don't necessarily know if the bullying was a smart. If you wanted to make it so Boyd was bullied and, like, you want that's how you wanted to bring him into, like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But we never really get a lot about Boyd's desperation. We know that he's lonely, which is really sad. But if that's how you wanted to introduce, like, bad high school dynamics into this situation, maybe so. But I don't necessarily know if I agree with Erica's. I would I'm, – I'm on the same page with you there because I think, I think the desperation surrounding, like, uh, having epilepsy was enough – and then the ostracism, no, not even going to go there. The, the, we know what you were going to say. <laughs> the alienation from her peers, I think it's like too much. 
And it felt uh, like they were laying it on thick. Yeah. And her whole monologue about having somebody film her while she's having a seizure, I can a little bit see that that could happen. Um, in the way that we know now that in response to scary things, mm-hmm. high school students will pull out their phones. Um, I don't know if I see somebody... I, I, that feels so personal. I don't know if I see somebody posting it online or like, I I just think about like who, even as self-absorbed and mean as I was in high school, I don't think I would ever laugh at somebody who, you know, couldn't help it. Lost control of their bladder in a medical emergency. Like I would not make fun of that. So I felt like that was like, I, that felt like, sometimes I really feel like the Teen Wolf writers really are smart about how just how smart high schoolers are and just how Mm -hmm. adult they are and then sometimes they just chalk it up to like random petty like high school stereotype because they haven't thought of a different way to reach the conclusion they want to it's lazy it's it's lazy and it's pessimistic yeah um and there's also this very weird and i was thinking about this as i as she was uh doing that monologue and kind of um other things that crop up in teen wolf there's this very weird anti-technology um, there totally is in Teen Wolf, even and though they're constantly advertising those Nokia phones yeah. in season three. But like, the writers don't seem to like it, and technology is often um, a huge source of like conflict, and it, it causes problems. Mm-hmm. Like the whole the whole thing about when um, Kira gets her phone confiscated and she has to get it back because like the camera on her phone captures whatever's going on with like her aura or whatever. And they have to like go get it back. And like, it's just, it feels very anti-technology to me. Yeah. Um, and especially that little speech, I was like, Oh, and, and because do you know what hammers at home is when she's it's like, she's like, I would love to, to kill the guy who put cameras yes, on everyone's phones. Exactly. Cause I was like a boomer wrote a hundred percent. You can really tell sometimes that there are that the people who are writing the show are Older and also men. Especially in regards to Erica. Yep. Let's, okay, moving on into Erica's desperation journey. We understand why she wants to be a werewolf. And I think in her situation, I would want to be too, you know? Because mm-hmm. you can be somebody who experiences any kind of hardship and know that that is going to be part of who you are. Like, if we take examples of, like, <laughs> mental health issues or even physical disabilities... But more often than not, like, I think given any situation, if stuff gets bad enough, people would do anything to trade it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I would give anything to be neurotypical. Are you kidding me? Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, it, that, what a life and, I would lead. <laughs> and we know that not everybody feels that way, but, like, personally. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I can't speak for everybody. So mm-hmm. maybe that is, like, God, I wish I wasn't crazy. But we know why, why Erica's desperate to get rid of it. But her desperation crops up in a completely different way mm-hmm. um, on the other side of being turned into a werewolf. And I also, the way in which Derek seduces her into saying yes, and that is the correct terminology for mm-hmm. what is happening, then begets this sort of, um, I don't want to say sexual desperation, but like um, an emphasis on, on like, her, like, her sexuality and like her, you know, aesthetics as a woman play out mm. in a really strange, masculinely written way. To be like really dramatic about it, I think when she becomes a werewolf, she gains value because she is now fuckable. I, and that's what it 
that's what it feels like the and mm-hmm. that's what it feels like the writers were basically saying. Yeah. Like me watching this, I don't think I would have picked up on that at 15 watching no. this. Uh me watching this as, you know, a 24-year-old is like uh <laughs> She's also supposed to be like 16. It's very uncomfortable. And I know that I'm pretty sure the Gage Golightly wasn't 16. No, no, I think she was definitely over so, 18. It's hard to have like this icky feelings about uh teenagers in shows and this is so like in Pretty Little Liars, um, one of the main characters has a relationship with a teacher and it's portrayed as this like very romantic, like star-crossed lovers thing. And the reason you don't feel like horribly disgusted by it is because the act both of the actors are adults. So it's really hard, I think, to like feel uncom to like recognize that you're supposed to feel uncomfy about it. But I felt very uncomfy here. Yes. <laughs> it's I, egregious. It, it, yeah, it was just one of those things where um it was so dependent on costuming. Mm-hmm. At one point in my notes, I just wrote dress code because she's wearing a skirt that is so egregiously tight and tiny, and she's wearing a white wife beater under a leather jacket, which men, for some reason, love that look, even though I think it's generally unflattering. Yeah, I don't think it flattered her silhouette at all. No, and like, Gage Lightly, and I mean this in the best of ways, is like a thick lady, mm-hmm. or she was then, I don't know what she looks like now, um, and nothing was done in a way that would make her look powerful and feel comfortable. It all felt so exposed. Well, that's that's and one of our main problems with the things that Lydia wears and why yes. when it becomes a little bit more conservative, and I don't mean that term in like a, oh, don't look at her, you know, titties, but like... High-necked clothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> people, women just look better when they, a lot of women look better when they wear that kind of clothing. And mm-hmm. I just think that the men who write and work on this show don't really have a good concept. No, and I, I, to be democratic, I think there's a way to look at this and say Erica is so unused to um, the attention that she thinks would get her somewhere in high school, which Mm -hmm. is male attention, that that is what she's acting on when she all of a sudden has the power to do so. Uh, But I actually don't think the Teen Wolf writers are that smart. (laughs) Well, yeah, because we read a lot into this show um, because ultimately what matters is the end product that you put out there, and it doesn't really matter what your intentions were, but... uh, I don't always think But I don't know if there were intentions here other than being like, haha, titties. Yeah. That whole thing she says to Styles on Boyd's porch, where she's like, you're trying to look anywhere but my eyes. And it was like, a man wrote that. (laughs) A woman would never have to acknowledge that. She know, because women know when you're trying not to look at their titties or just looking at them because you're dumb. (laughs) Like, no, No. we ignore that on the day to day. Yeah. It's... (laughs) This is, I mean, this was a really interesting episode because this is one of the first episodes um, that really centers on a female character. In this season, it's the first because it's only the third. But like, you know, the other two female characters that we've really spent a lot of time on are Allison and Lydia, um, who have lots of other admirable and interesting traits that aren't about how they look. Um, But this, all of Erica's like, Things we know about Erica. Is Epileptic, hot. And hot. That's it. That's the only work they did to characterize her. Oh Yeah, and I just, I felt like they set her up in a way that made me feel um, really sympathetic to her. Mm-hmm. 
really so much so that I was like, she has no other choice. And then on the other end of the episode, they just made me feel sort of averse. Like I didn't want to look at her. I just felt like I was, I felt like I was looking at something I wasn't supposed to because I was looking at like the male version of what Erica should end up, you know. It's also such an immediate transformation. There's no real sense of her like, trying out her powers or understanding like her new place there's in not the a world. montage of her learning how to do her makeup nope and uh if she had known how to do her makeup before i feel like she probably would have done it sometimes sometimes every once in a while mm-hmm. yeah it, hmm. i i feel like they they didn't spend enough time no on her no. Because there's other stuff going on. Yeah, but obviously, but, and also, like, we as women are going to be like, no, let us see the transformation. I want to see part of myself in this person. And because the Team Wolf writers do not see part of themselves in this person, they're like, eh, eh skip it. That is honestly one of the most important parts of, like, teen movies is, like, the... Transformation. The becoming montage, yeah. Yes, and it's not always, like, taking off your glasses <laughs> or whatever. No, but, like, it happens a lot. Or, or even just, like a shopping scene where a girl tries on a bunch of dresses, like something or like that. The, the training montage in Stick It, when mm-hmm. she like gets back into shape, that has nothing to do. I mean, Missy Peregrim is gorgeous, but it has nothing to do with her, you know, mm-hmm. like being hot. It's about her putting the effort into changing a part of herself and coming out on the other side. So main takeaways <laughs> here, Missy Peregrine is so hot in second. Um, yeah. We when just, she climbs the rope with no feet. I, Look. Look. It's formative. <laughs> Stick it is the best teen movie ever made. We all know it's true. Um, um, but yeah, I just, I didn't feel like there was enough there. We have spent maybe 20 minutes talking about Erica. I, not that I, I could spend 20 minutes more, but we should move on to, um, mm-hmm. to the desperation of the other characters. Who did you say was your other? Oh, Jackson. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody, everybody is experiencing some desperation in this episode, but I think he is increasingly unhinged. Um, yeah. Throughout the thing a lot of sweating a lot of sweating and you know i have been trying to like spin this out uh honestly since the first time i saw this episode or like the first uh like the time that the idea is proposed that the reason he's not turning into whatever is because he's been vaccinated and it just feels like a really bizarre std reference like or or like call back. That is not necessarily what I thought, but I do have a question about that and Mm -hmm. I want to get to that now and not in Q's nose. Okay. Why would Jackson's immediate thought be that Lydia vaccinated him and not that getting the claws in the back of his neck vaccinated him? He's a real ding dong. Is like honestly the only explanation. But (laughs) he just he he is incapable of like putting two and two together. That's true. And Ah, I don't know. I mean, it's so uncomfortable. She He makes Lydia cry, like genuinely cry. He pushes her against a wall. Yeah, and he feels bad about it for like two seconds. He does not feel bad about it. No, but he looks back a little forlornly. And then we get... That's not an apology. <laughs> oh, I'm no. feeling bad about something and apologizing for it are two completely different things. Sometimes people apologize and they don't feel bad. They just know that they need to apologize. He does neither of those things. No. Um... But he, uh, he's trying to figure out why it won't work. He goes to the Hale house and almost gets his face blown off by Chris. Um, who looked extra hot in this episode. He did. And he was just kind of like Jackson. Why are you a ding dong asking the question we would all like to ask? Um, and then 
at the end of the episode, he's doing his thing where he like throws lacrosse balls at an impossibly small target again. Uh, yes. And they, they call back to yeah. the can on the tree. But it's so much less emotionally impactful this time. Yeah, because you don't feel bad for him. At all. He's being the worst person. Um, just he, yeah. terrible. And, uh, but then he is trying to get his car out of the mud, which, okay. It's called an adrenaline rush. <laughs> you can Google it. <laughs> and he lifts up the car and he, but, but, but prior to that, he's just like so fed up. And so desperate for something to happen that when it does, it he's it over bra- the fucking moon. It's not even a joy, it's relief. Mm-hmm. Which, at, at, you know, when you are so desperate for something, to have it pan out, that is the only response. Yeah. Well, and he's, he's not acting like a, a stable human being. When no. he comes up to Lydia, he, she's wearing a dress. He's trying to, like get to see the bite he's about to lift up her dress in the middle of the hallway at school Mm -hmm. that is just so incredibly egregious even for him yeah and uh again i mean this is another question of like is it laziness on the writer's part because i feel like we've seen this side of jackson frequently and it's not uh and maybe i don't know maybe it's a combination of writing of colton haynes's performance which um in my notes i wrote down is incredibly uncomfortable to watch because it's just not good. No. Yeah. What What are your thoughts on Jackson? I think the thing about desperation is that it inherently comes with doubt. Because it isn't, like, the thing you are desperate for doesn't feel like an achievable goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes isn't. Um, so I think that Jackson is now where he thought he's so confident. In the, in the episode prior, that he's going to turn into a wolf at the full moon, despite having no signs of that being what's going to happen. Um, and then after it not happening, he has to internalize that doubt. It becomes desperation, and he is now both upset internally at himself and at the world that isn't giving him what he wants, and then has a temper tantrum because he's a big, fat, giant crybaby. Yeah, um, that's what this whole... That's what he does for most of both season one and two is have temper tantrums. I know. But in season one, there's something that's not forgivable about them. You're just like, mm-hmm. okay, he's a flawed crybaby mean guy. In season two, he, I don't, I don't know if this is what the writers had in mind. Cause I don't think they have ever had anything in mind. <laughs> um, part of it makes me wonder if his transformation into the canima is having, uh, untold side effects to his waking psyche. You know, I actually, have um a question about that that i do want to talk about in q's and o's but i had a very similar thought about the way that um these transformations both werewolf canima other things that are happening in characters lives how that is affecting Mm -hmm. um their fundamental personalities yeah whether it's like drawing out characteristics that are already there or it becomes great bad becomes worse Mm mm-hmm Stanley Tucci voice. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Stanley Tucci voice, but in a German accent. Um, yeah, Jackson's really kind of unbearable in yeah. this episode. It's, uh, it's awful. Um, moving on from Jackson, mm-hmm. who is desperate. Yeah. 
I kind of want to shift a little bit into Lydia. And also a little bit into Styles. This was a very good Stidia episode. It was. It made my Stidia heart shipping heart sing. Wow. English. Um, it was just... Lydia is desperate for normalcy. Mm-hmm. Which is why I, I don't necessarily know all of the situations in which Lydia would agree to a double date with Styles and Allison and Scott. Uh, yeah. But she doesn't have her rock anymore. And in fact, her rock has turned on her. You know, because actively, like it, actively, yeah. Because Jackson had given her up basically in the end of season one, but she thought she still had him because he she he saves her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he gives her that whole hullabaloo about you know this doesn't change anything, and there even if that's true, she's like, well, at least in times of trouble, I will still have him. And then in this episode, aggressively, that is untrue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she goes on this uh, double date at a just reaching so hard for normalcy but on that desperate she's desperate on that plane but on a separate plane she's also desperate to figure out what is going on inside her head yes. she's hallucinating peter she sees him under the ice she sees his naked feet who's got the feet thing in team wolf he sees his feet under the bathroom i think door. it's you with the feet thing i think <laughs> feet make me really grossed out um, feet gross me out. I think that's where I'm at. You know what? That's fair. They're gross, right? They're necessary. But? But. Gross. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I don't have as strong a feeling about it as you do, but I can understand where you're coming from. I. Ugh. Wolfpack, let us know where you stand on Wolfpack, feet. Wolfpack, are you. <laughs> the the post up poll. Feet. Are you How into you... them or no? <laughs> Ambivalent. Ambivalent. <laughs> Really, like Quentin Tortellini level into them. <laughs> See, that makes me really uncomfy. That is what's disgusting. It Not is. like the concept of feet, feet in, in general. general. Yeah. No. It's like what people read into feet. I also think I things. have weird feet, so I am like self-conscious about feet. I have to say that I've never given a second thought to your feet. Well, you're, thank you. You're <laughs> that makes me feel better. I have very long toes <laughs> <laughs> leaning on fingers. <laughs> I have never noticed this ever. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I mean, and when I say that I've never noticed this, it's important to know that we do live together. Do you see I how long my toes are? <laughs> I don't think they're egregiously long. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I will post a picture of my feet. <laughs> no, that's going on the Patreon. <laughs> True. <laughs> Guys. Subscribe to us on Patreon for exclusive feedbacks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Lydia. Let <laughs> me get it together. Lydia. Lydia. She sees some dirty feet. Well, she sees Peter's um, basketball trophy. Uh, excellent callback to the original Teen Wolf. <laughs> Is it a basketball trophy? Yeah, he says in, I think, season three when Derek kills his girlfriend. He's, when they're all reminiscing about what happened, he's like, basketball, in my day we played a real sport, basketball, instead of lacrosse. Which basketball is the better sport. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so she is both desperate to understand what she's seeing, like what she's experiencing in her day to day but also doesn't want to actually be experiencing that. So she's reaching for just whatever she can do, which might include going ice skating with a dorky boy and a Reese's ad. 
the most egregious. I, is it the most egregious Reese's ad? No, the worst one comes in season in the same episode I'm talking to, about when Peter is talking about basketball. Oh, he's like the perfect combination. <laughs> they're they're all bad. Reese's are objectively good, but you do not need to tell me that they're good in no. the middle of an episode. Just hold up the packaging. I'm like, mm, Reese's. Like, hey, you want this can anyway? Advertising um, that is subtle is so much more likely to work, especially on millennials than anything else. Yeah, because you're like walking down the street and you're like, oh, I saw that. Well, I don't know where I saw it, but it looks it looks good. Yeah, if they had just been eating Reese's in this episode and no one had said any of the weird, bad copy written by Reese's for this episode mm-hmm. of uh, Teen Wolf, I would have been like, hmm, I could go for some Reese's yeah but because they said all that shit about it I'm like no 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 I will not be had you know yeah so anyway Lydia desperate for some Reese's and um where do you feel what do you feel where do we stand on Lydia's desperation it only gets worse um this is one of I think the most I know it's like all cool when we like figured we're figuring out what she is Mm -hmm. but before we know and like she's just kind of flying off the deep end this is, like, one of my favorite Lydia seasons. Agreed. Um, and, again, not wanting to give the writers too much credit, but, like, I remember when I was watching this for the first time, and I was so annoyed at how often Lydia was screaming. And then it turned out to be a very important, like, plot point and mm-hmm. function of who or what kind of, like, supernatural creature she is. So I'm glad that it had a point. Um, and this is another episode where we see, like... Uh, the banshee in Lydia. Yes. Because she's faced with death, like mm-hmm. in every, in every instance that she's um, screaming. Yeah. And she spends most of the time screaming this episode because she is being haunted. Mm-hmm. And not in this episode, in this season, she's being haunted, which Teen Wolf should have done more with ghosts <laughs> instead of whatever the dread doctors were doing. <laughs> I honestly, Half a season on the Dread Doctors would have been fine. And then the other half, Ghosts. This is this is the main problem with Five, is that it was one long season instead of a 5A and a 5B. If season five had... I, I We always say the best thing about Teen Wolf is that they never brought in vampires. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if vampires had been season five, how would I feel how about it? How would we feel about it? Bad. I still think bad. Because you have all of, I'm like... I'm pretty sure season five of True Blood is when they bring in werewolves, so... <laughs> And we know how season fives are inherently bad. Yeah, I wonder what the the curse is there. Um, Yeah, Lydia is just um, desperate for help and not getting any. Even though, like, Allison is supposed to be keeping an eye on her, quote unquote, as directed by her dad. Yeah. um, Which is so creepy. But I think Allison heard that and was like, garbage. She is not keeping that. (laughs) <laughs> information no, with her. No, but I do think that, like, Allison wants to help Lydia, but doesn't know how. Mm-hmm. And so, like, Lydia is desperate for people, for normalcy, for people to understand what she's going through. But, of course, no one can because no one's having those hallucinations. Or knows what she is, or mm-hmm. even has any inkling that she might not be human. Uh, only Styles has any inclination. And kind, and kind of, of Jackson. And kind of Scott. But, like, I think Styles is probably the only one who's actively thinking about it. Because he loves her. Yes. And when he's holding her and when she's screaming on the ice, I'm just kind of like, ouch. Yeah. It's, ugh, he really loves her. And he really loves her. And then in season three, when she pulls him in the locker room and she holds him, it, ugh. There are very, 
you know, that's one of the things that I like about Team Wolf. And I actually was just like rewatching the Lord of the Rings. And one of the nice things about the Lord of the Rings is how tender all of the men are with each other. Like when Boromir dies, spoiler for a 2003 movie and a book that's been out for 75 years. Um, like Aragorn closes his eyes and like kisses him on the forehead and like is weeping for this man. And like, I, I love how touchy feely and tender everyone is with each other. And it's like never weirding people out. No, it's just like casual. It's, it's friendship. And that's how styles in, cause you are shipping styles and Lydia, mm-hmm. but, but when they go through all this, you're never like, that was romantic. Cause it would no. be weird to like fetishize somebody having a panic attack. Like it's tender. It is, it is mm-hmm. so tender. And you also see moments where he's like that with Scott or Scott's like that with him. Or even in the part of this episode where Styles is like, do you want to make out for a little bit? And Scott just blows him off because it's not even remotely no homo. It's like very clearly a very funny thing to say amongst these two people because they have that level of friendship. Yes. Yeah. Um, I did make a note about that. I loved that exchange. It was great. They're so good. There's no no homo in the show until season three. <laughs> yeah. Season three is like no homo everywhere. And you're like, ugh. Ugh. It's weird because season three is when the gay characters come in. But even then it's no homo because then there has to be like a line drawn. And yeah. you're like, they're never, there's not a line in life. What are you people talking about? But it's funny though. You mentioned like Lord of the Rings and stuff. Like it, I have actually noticed things have gotten less cool with people being tender. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, like in female friendships in movies and male friendships in movies, like things have gotten very no homo in the last like 10 years. And it's so weird because we're moving towards this Mm -hmm. thing. But have you ever seen Wings? No. Wings is the first movie to ever win Best Picture. It's the only silent movie before the artist to ever win Best Picture. Uh, It's a World War I movie. Came out in 1927. But at the end of Wings, these two kind of like the two main characters who have had this sort of, sort of like romantic rivalry for this girl that they both loved and they, you know, didn't like each other at home and then they go away to war and they become really good friends. And, um, at the end of the movie, one of them t- steals a German plane. The other thinks it's a, an enemy plane and shoots it down and, you know, mortally yeah. wounds him. Oh, no. Uh, spoiler alert, but that movie came out in 1927. So whatever. But he like holds him while he's dying and it's all silent. And it's just like, it's probably like a two minute scene of him holding him and he kisses him on the mouth. And it's like pre haze code film is like way closer to life than anything post haze code. It's we have Disney to thank for the like, no homo subtle rein, reinstatement of, of the haze code. code. Yeah. Um, no, you know, I read and I wish I could attribute this to the correct person because, um, it is not a thought that came out of my head, but, um, someone was talking about the new little women movie, which I didn't love, but we can get into that later. Um, I haven't seen it. about how so much of that movie is about men looking in on the physical intimacy between women and wishing that they could be a part of it. Interesting. I mean, I, men will never understand the f- female friendship. No, but but Teen Wolf gets close. <laughs> they get close, and I, I like. I just remember being in high school, and I'm, I was a theater kid, so this explains a lot. But like, I was all over my friends, and it was never like never weird. Never weird. It was just like oh, this person is next to me. I'm gonna be all over them. Yeah, because that was a relationship that we had established. It, We've spent quite a bit of this episode already complaining about the writing and how uh, the writers don't understand certain things, but I do think that that's something that they get right. Yeah, but only in the first two seasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Scott Styles always have it, but when they introduce stuff like 
the Isaac Scott relationship, which is weirdly infuriating because you could have given them a tender no homo relationship, but you didn't. didn't. Yeah. I mean, I think it's especially important. Like it's very important to have those moments between men, but I think it's very important also to have those moments between men and women. That's not romantic or not sexual. And that's why the Styles Lady stuff is so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's even why some of this, I mean, like, Scott ends up having repartee with, like, all of the other women in the show and is, like, protective over them in ways that we don't see as explicitly as Styles over Lydia, but I do think it is well done. Mm-hmm. In the way that we see, like, Styles and Malia, I mean, Styles and Malia, Scott and Malia don't get together until 6B, but it, because of the relationship that Scott has formed with her over all of this time. It makes total sense. It makes total sense. Yeah. Uh, anybody else we want to talk about their desperation? We've really kind of only touched the women who we only need to touch in the show and a little bit of Jackson. Well, we should talk about Victoria a little bit. We should. Because that Yikes. woman is nuts. She is so crazy. Also, stupid. Like, uh, yeah, who accidentally cuts themselves a mile and a half up their forearm? Also, a I, thingy cut. Like, when you're cooking, right? Yeah. And, like, so not only that, but then she goes in and she's like, I don't need the anesthetic. You're trying to seem normal in front of this other woman. Exactly. Why? Why? And she clearly knows how to like emotionally manipulate people, obviously, but she's not doing a very good job of it in this episode. No. At all. Melissa is, bless her heart, doing everything to just try to have a normal conversation with this lady. Who's... Because Melissa, and she passed this down to Scott, is very emotionally intelligent. Yes. Um, and probably, and she says like something like, oh, we see a lot more crazy stuff than this in the ER. Like she knows how to deal with crazy, but she should not have to be dealing with crazy with like one of her son's classmates, parents, like that level of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Just insane. I mean, and I get like, I feel like the writers are trying to make her seem like this hard, like badass, no nonsense woman, but it, I think the smarter the smarter choice would be for her to play the opposite. Be like, oh, ouch. Gosh, I'm such klutz. This, you know. Yeah. You know, establishing a false vulnerability to get Melissa comfortable enough to share the things about Scott. Because otherwise, why would Melissa want to share any of that? She would not. No. Um, yeah. I The one thing that I will say about this scene that I think it's good foreshadowing for Victoria's eventual demise, because... It's with a knife. <laughs> like a freak. I mean, with a butcher knife from the kitchen, she just goes and bleeds all over her daughter's room. Very inconsiderate. Um, not that that would be what you were thinking in that moment. Um, but like, it, it, I literally was just sitting there watching it. being like, I would be so mistrustful of this woman. Yeah. Who came in with that kind of a cut, with that kind of a story, and then being like, I don't need the local anesthetic, which by the way, like, Stitches it, hurt. Stitches hurt. Getting local anesthetic hurts. It all hurts. It it hurts. Yeah. Stitches especially hurt because you're getting your skin sewn back together. And even if you can handle that pain, you don't want to feel it because you don't want to think about how fucking gross that is. Very cool, though. I guess. I don't know. I have a really bad scar on my chin from some unfortunate stitches. I, I mean, I just think it's very cool that, like, our skin can... Do that. Grow itself back together. Gross, yeah. but very cool. Totally gross. Uh, but in terms of her doing that, she is desperate. Yeah. And acts like a crazy person, as desperation makes you do. So, does it check out? 
no. But do I get it? Uh, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, but, the, and you know what the thing is, though, is she's, a, like, theoretically, this very cold, calculating woman who could probably figure out another better way to get to talk to Melissa. She could ask her for coffee. a less extreme way. Just yeah. ask her for coffee. Women love getting coffee. To be normal. Ask her for, you know, I feel like our kids had a weird break. Would you want, do you want a glass of wine? Mm-hmm. And so, then Melissa would be like, yeah. And then you would have gotten even more information. You don't have to fucking chop your arm off. The disconnect between her demeanor and like everything that you think about her and the act that she goes to, to get Melissa's attention mm-hmm. are so disconnected and bizarre. And that's why it seems desperate. Yeah. It, it is desperate, but it's funny because, uh, you've read or seen Gone Girl. Yes, I've done both. Yeah. But you know, Amy does all of that stuff with the neighbor friend whose name I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And she does it in a calculated, strange, and crazy way because Amy is crazy. But everything that is reading to a neighbor friend whose name I don't remember is aggressively normal. Mm-hmm. And She offers think- her lemonade. She gives her a glass of wine. They spend time. Like, they read books. They're, like, exchanging books or whatever. Like, it is easy to... And I don't think that you should be manipulating the emotions of your female friends. But Amy is that type of person who is calculated and cold and crazy, but does everything in like the actual sociopath way of Mm -hmm. doing it to make you seem like overly comfortable with them. And Victoria fails. Fails. And in that way, the writing fails. Unsmart. Yeah. Because you don't, because you can't sit there and be like, oh, well, how would, you know, Victoria get to Melissa? Oh, she have to go to the hospital, right? Because they don't think it, like the Teen Wolf writers are not like how do women interact? How do they run into each other at the grocery store? How do moms interact? Like very specifically? Yes. Yeah. Teen Wolf. This is an. I didn't realize how many like issue like feminist issues I had with this episode, but Jesus. Well, it just. I mean, it just goes to show you that like men are writing this episode and they didn't. This is and this is not to say that like men can't understand women or that they are inherently going to miss the David mark. Fincher directed Gone Girl. Exactly. Someone got it. <laughs> but like, that's what you miss from not having women's voices in the writer's room. And that's what you miss by not inviting a, like a feminine perspective yeah. onto your show is that you miss the nuances of relationships between like moms. Yeah. Which is like literally any, any woman could tell you that. Yeah. And it, it just, I am not a it's mom, a and I'm telling you mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it's a failure on the part of. And he goes, the do you remember team. the episode in season one where we talked about how there's like this one black character at the beginning of the episode, and everything that he says is so clearly a white man writing it. Mm-hmm. That that would have been fixed by a black voice in the exactly. room. Exactly. You you want to have as diverse a writer's room as possible for the maximum amount of experience and knowledge. Um, I don't know why that's a controversial thought. Truly not. It's really not. Yeah. Just get it. You don't need one person from every walk of life, but as many people from each walk of life as you can, is usually a pretty good idea. You shouldn't have more than one person from one walk of life. Agreed. One white man. Maybe not even that. Maybe none white man. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, do we have any other characters we want to talk about in terms of desperation? Scott was desperate kind of at the end of the episode, but not in a way that I, that struck me in, in, in particular, such as Lydia and, and Erica. Allison no. is desperate in the way that she's trying to maintain normalcy, but n- 
I don't even I don't, was Allison a big part of this episode? Not Am I really. Her out? Yeah. I mean, Allison. I think Chris. I just have Boyd's a lot of desperate. Boyd's desperate. You know what's just crazy about that is that Cinco Walls is beautiful. Like he's so handsome and like just exudes charm. And yeah. you're sitting there like, why doesn't, doesn't he have Boyd any friends? Have friends? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. If I mispronounce his name, I'm very sorry. I think it's Cinqua. Yeah. yeah. I okay. Like I, he's but beautiful. But if someone knows. Yeah. He's beautiful. He's so charming. He's clearly funny. Like, He's funny, but there's also a lot of anger. Boyd harbors a lot of darkness, um, which we see a little bit of in season three. I also think that he was a deeply mismanaged character. Yes. And him and Erica both get fridged, which is like, really? Really? Well, the one of the other, the one of the three new werewolves they keep is a white man. Yep. <laughs> and again, I love Isaac, but. <laughs> but guys. It, well, and here's the thing. I don't think that they needed to spend a whole other episode bringing Boyd into the mix because I just think that that would have taken too long on the whole Derek building. But they could have gotten point. rid of a lot of the weird garbage that Erica went through in favor of a Boyd plotline. Yep, because I, it doesn't make any sense Because to Erica's me. whole, like, weird, sexy girl, breathy, like, talking at the boys in the show. Like uh, a baby. It's a little baby talk. It's a little baby talk, and it's very much like the, like, overly like aspirating sort of mimicking like sexual situation yep conversation which is like Ew. this is high school <laughs> which again high schoolers are doing that but not in the hallway where people can see maybe they are i don't know i'm not in high school anymore but yeah no you're correct yeah. i feel confident in saying <laughs> um it, yeah yeah uh, mismanaged which is weird because I feel like we were so excited to start season two because we're like, the writing in season two is so much better, but I don't know. I feel like season one was a lot less stuff for me to comment on. Uh, do you want to move any questions and observations? Sure. Do you have anything other on d- desperation on characters? Not really, no. Okay. Um, desperation turned into just a feminist rant on Erica, which, if that's not your type of podcast, what are you what? doing yeah. here? You can leave. Um, do you have Q's? Do you have O's? I have, have, O's? I have Q's and O's. Hit me with a Q, lady. So at the beginning of the episode, um, Chris is playing a voice memo. Is it Derek? Derek? It sounds, is it Derek? It sounds just like Derek. It sounds just like Derek. I'm sure that they had Tyler Hecklin record it, but it doesn't make any goddamn sense as to why they would have that. So... Um, that's not my question. My question is, Chris lets Victoria kill herself. Yeah. He doesn't stand in the way, doesn't even really try to argue with her to stop it. Like, I mean, kind of, but not really. I want, I think he knows he can't before you continue. Well, so, but my question is, what if it was Allison and not Victoria? I think he sees Allison as a malleable product. I think he thinks he could change her mind. Victoria is clearly steadfast in her ways. There is no changing mm-hmm. her. She is the type of lady who would cut her arm open to go talk to another mom instead of seeing her in the pickup line. That's true. <laughs> but the I mean, the fact that he doesn't really try at all is very disconcerting to me. Which is weird because that's one of their only tender moments. Yeah. So why did he marry her? Well, I, that's just a question that I, that I do have. And it's like, uh, I mean, yes, I'm cheating because I'm stealing a question from the show, but like, what would Chris do? If Allison were bit and Gerard knew about it. He'd go on the run. 
I, I think you love your, I think you, and I don't think this is a dramatic thing to say, even though I don't have children, you love your children differently than you love your spouses. Agreed. Although not according to Terry Crews, who was like, I don't have to care about the well-being of my children. <laughs> Did you see that fucking tweet? <laughs> no, don't even tell me about it. I'm already angry. But like, you know, like ugh, they say this and you know, the second you have a baby or whatever, don't know, haven't had a baby, full disclosure, <laughs> that like you would do anything for them. And like as much as he can love Victoria, even if he loves her as much as the day he did when he proposed, it is a different type of mm-hmm. like instinctual human having to let like, you know, continuing the species like drive. You know, I think they're different feelings. Agreed. Yeah, that was just a question that was kind and of And the way that mind. if you ask a mom whether or not she'd save her kid or her husband, that mom would be like, obviously my child. <laughs> my child. Well, I mean, for one thing, your husband's probably an adult and like in a burning building could walk down some stairs. I would hope you'd save your child. But anyway. But I'm also an adult yeah. and my dad is an adult and my mom had to pick what you would to save. I don't know. She might pick my dad. <laughs> no, she'd pick me. Sorry, dad. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was one of my questions and I'm wondering if I have other questions. Who knows? I might have some questions if you're still looking for your questions. Yeah, yeah, go. Um, one, why does everybody in Beacon Hills wait till midnight to get their goddamn gas? (laughs) No one is pumping gas during the day. Do you like getting gas at night? No, because it's scary. <laughs> it is scary. And also, like, I just came from Western Massachusetts where, like, if you didn't get your gas before 8 o'clock, good fucking luck finding a station that was open. And I don't think that they're that, like, far out. But uh, a lot, most places, like, Aha, shut the down. first siren of the episode waited until Q's and O's. Second? Was mm-hmm. there an there earlier. I must have been really enraptured in what I was saying. I... Don't remember where we were at in the conversation, but I guess I find out when I edit. Oh, um, yeah. Why does everyone wait till midnight to get their gas? Dumb, dumb. Go before or after school. After school, so you don't get late. Be late. Okay, so this is not really like a character question, more of something where we would speculate why that fight had to happen on the ice because it should be hilarious it should be so it funny. should be so you funny, know you know in, you know in parks and rec when it's like get on your feet yes yeah. exactly i was sitting there being like i know that this is like very serious but also anytime they like zoom out and i'm like oh they're on an ice rink I'm yeah like, this should be so funny and the reason why the uh, if you uh watch any media that includes hockey or just hockey Part of the joy of the hockey fight is that they have to hold on to each other because if they don't, they'll float away. (laughs) So that's why they grab each other's sweaters to fight because if they don't, ice makes it so they go (laughs) bye-bye. So to be like, we can stage this full fight on a sheet of ice without anybody just slipping and eating it is like... Teen Wolf. Absurd. I mean, there's also the thing where, like, who taught Scott how to fight like that? And that's just something that I, like, don't often think about because it's, like, a, a trope of the genre where some someone gets bitten by a radioactive spider and magically knows how to, like, do hand-to-hand combat. But, I mean, yes, Scott did get bitten by a radioactive yes. spider. We have discussed. Obviously. And so did his horse. <laughs> that's why they have rider's heads. But, like, yeah, I, I honestly was just, like, the, tonally, this missed the mark so hard. Yeah. 
that they were fighting on the Doing ice the and parking it wasn't lot. hilarious. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Those Zambonis just like going around. <laughs> it's just, it's Why a boy get the job as the school Zamboni driver? Just beacon nails of a hockey team? Uh, They're in maybe. California. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like it's a Teddy from uh, Ice Princess situation. Oh, oh we love Teddy, Teddy from Ice Princess. My first we love episode. Ice Princess. Bonus episode. Bonus episode on Ice Princess. Uh, by the way, you guys can submit bonus episodes idea. Uh, bonus episode ideas at any point. Um, we have some fun ones planned though. We so. sure do. Um, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Why does everybody treat the Hale House like a public restroom? <laughs> do you know what I think? It's either of- Derek hanging out in there or the Argens hanging out in there. Like, why do they just have free range? You know what I think of every time that there's like a flash up on the Hale House? I think about like fake old timey Western towns where it's just like a cardboard front. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, why has no one come to demolish? You're this like house John Wayne lives in, in the, the Hale House. house. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like there's no real driveway. There's not even like it's in the middle of the woods. But how were you supposed to get to it even when it was a real house? I have a lot of questions. I don't know. It feels dumb for the Argents to hang out there because you have to know Derek's not going to be stupid enough to come back there. Just Jackson. I mean, it might be like a show of force, like, haha, this is ours now. But that's pretty gross to find out that your sister unjustfully murdered children there and being like, this is our new hangout. Yeah, and also was murdered in there. Yeah. So. It's all bad. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, I asked that question earlier. Do you have any O's? A couple of costuming O's, actually. Is it about Gage Girl lately? <sighs> I feel like we've covered that. We have. Um, it was just bad. Put so her in tight pants. First of all, Not no pants. Lydia's makeup is horrendous. Horrendous. Bad. It's so hard to make Holland Roden look bad, and yet someone tried their hardest. Yeah, and she still succeeded. looks good. She's Holland Roden. Um, yeah. Oh, shoot. I have a question. Oh, okay. Sorry. Question. Go ahead. Um, Reverse. Do. Reverse, reverse. Do we think that becoming an alpha makes serious changes to your personality? Uh, Derek is the biggest asshole he ever is in this season. Yeah, and it really makes me wonder, like, is that a a result of becoming an alpha? Because when we encounter the alpha pack, they're all terrible people. But were they terrible people before they became alphas? We don't really have a huge comparison. Well, here's the thing. You can either be like... Another siren. Uh, (laughs) You can either be like... Uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Which it does. Um, and say that he was going to become a bad person because of a gain in power, and that is the human response. Mm-hmm. Or you can say it was a magical response. But I like to just sit here and be like, poor Canela's dose. It's we, like when people, It's I think it's probably similar to roid rage. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, because I, I'm sitting there being like, you really come to have a, a serious affection for Derek in later seasons because you start to understand what he's been through and like what uh, his emotional life must be like. You especially. Me especially, because I do love Derek. Uh-huh. But like in this episode, in this whole season, he is disgusting. Like he is so despicable. And almost nothing he does. This whole scene with Erica is so Is redeemable. Gross. It's, it's gross. And honestly, like were I Tyler Hecklin, I would be very uncomfortable. Um... But again, Gage Golightly wasn't 16. Yeah. I, that is the problem. That's part of the problem. Um, yeah, that was my question. Not that 16 year olds should be filming Teen Wolf. No. There's a lot of nudity. But still. Yeah. That was, my, that was one of the questions. 
Good question. Yeah. I think that's something to ponder and something we should consider moving forward. Mm-hmm. Any O's you want to mention? Yeah. Um, Styles is wearing a t-shirt and I wrote down a note um, as to what it was. And I can't remember what it was. Was it his one that says, I support single moms? Because I really hate that one. No. The, you know what I'm talking about, though, right? I do. I do. I can, oh, he's wearing um, a shirt that says stud, and there's a muffin, a picture of a muffin. Oh, stud it. muffin. That was yep. a joke back in 2012. It, do you remember? It was. And I, I got to tell you, I was having some flashbacks. <laughs> um, I would like to note... Orange and blue are opposites on the color wheel, and therefore a good color combination. I thought actually. that too. They are. Yep. I mean, you have to pick the right orange and the right blue. Yes, but um, yeah. Lydia just saying point blank that they're not a good color combination. Also, she's wearing like turquoise, so it's not really, really blue. blue. But if you were like orange and green don't look good together, I'd be like, yeah, they don't. Yeah, but actually, that was my that was my other costuming note is that. Um, both Lydia and Scott are wearing the same color. They are, yeah. Which I was like, is it because they're both supernatural creatures on the side of good? Don't know. I thought someone was just like, oh, look good. Yeah. But I <laughs> um, thought it Allison was... looks amazing in this episode. She does. Her white high collar dress. Very cute. Very cute. And she's very... always wearing like fun pattern tights. Yes. Very um, ice princess. <laughs> very ice princess. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one of my O's. Mm-hmm. We get one of my favorite Greenberg references yes. when he's like, Greenberg, lose my number. <laughs> oh. Coach Finstock should not be my alpha of the week, but he makes it so hard. <laughs> he really does. I know. Orny Adams, we love you. And then, okay, we get our first dose of Canima Venom in this yeah. episode. Canima Venom is one of my favorite supernatural powers in the whole show. It is so cool. It is so cool. It is disgusting there's something sort of sensual about it in the way that it drips mm-hmm. and it like we see that it looks like sh- like syrup like in yeah. the sugar crystal chemistry episode it's like sap sap mm-hmm. yeah and it does one of the scariest things yeah you can do to somebody, to move. which is immobilize you mm-hmm. yep i'm so excited because i think it's one of the best plot points in this season it is very very cool yeah for sure um should we move on to our pack stats? Or do you have anything else you want to mention? Stats. Uh, I don't think so. I think we covered a lot, actually. And a lot of feelings I like didn't even know that I had while I was about, watching. About, about Erica, yeah. About Erica. And <laughs> I was like passively mad while watching it. And then we started hashing it out. And I was like, well, hey. Oh, wait. I did have, um, just in like the no Is one. Is this a on, Q or no? An O. Okay. Um, just that like no one on Teen Wolf ever thinks anything out ever. Whatever part Erica takes from Styles' car and then hits him in the face with it. Could kill him. His whole face would be crushed. He would break every bone on that side of his face. And he just like falls. No bruising evident later on. I I just, oh my God, people. It makes sense because Scott's a werewolf, but like Styles is a human man. Who later in the season experiences very gross and like latent facial bruising. So why did this not do it? It is fully like a hunk of metal. Yeah. It would have minimally broken his nose. Yes. So his orbital bone. Yep. Shattered. Yep. Uh, that's a good observation. <laughs> so it's so egregiously stupid. Oh uh, yeah. But anyway, we could go on to pack stats pack now. Stats? For Alrighty, I didn't write them down, so go. Okay, so um, no shirts off that I could remember. We did have a locker room scene, but everything was kind of like no. And even when Styles had his shirt off, it was behind Scott's yeah. locker, and I was like, that's an interesting choice. 
I just, business wise, you know, I really think, and I, I feel like someone else pointed this out and that's why I'm thinking about it, but I don't think that the writers wanted you to view styles as any kind of like, uh, physically attractive, which is why like when he goes underwater and comes out with like a wet t-shirt in season three, you're like, Oh my God. You're like, hold on. What the Wait one second. What yeah. is that? So I Maybe think that that's why they it. didn't let him grow his hair out. But I actually yeah. think, I actually think the big issue is that they filmed the first two seasons in like rapid succession. Yeah. Um, we had three claws, including one of the real first, like... Canima drips? Canima drips, but also, like, switchblade out claws. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which Derek does. And then we had five eyes. We had one true, like, look down, look up, mm-hmm. glow eyes. And then I gave one for, like, both uh, Erica and Isaac, because they were glowing the whole time that they were fighting. Um, and then there was a Reese's ad, which we've discussed... And apparently they zoomed in on the truck, but I clearly wasn't paying attention. So I think it was a Chevy. Chevy. Yeah. Interestingly, like there are some Fords on this show, but like the trucks are usually Chevys, which I find interesting. Only so. you would find that interesting. Nobody else who's not from Michigan finds that interesting. They were like, what's the difference? <laughs> Ford is the better one. Ford is the better truck. Yes. Um, yeah. Those are our pack stats. What about your... Uh, your alpha, alpha of, the, of week. the week. Can you go first? No. <laughs> Please go first. I went first last time. Um. Oh, uh, I like. No one strikes me as particularly heroic. No, actually, you know, I think I'm gonna say Mama McCall. I'm actually gonna go Deaton. Oh, oh, for okay. giving Scott a two dollar and fifty cent raise. Actually, he Deaton said workers' rights. Literally, Deaton. Uh, is only going to explain things to Scott when it starts to affect him. What a selfish bastard. Okay, you know why I actually picked Eaton? Hmm. Is what he says to Scott about entropy. When Yes, that is very cool. It it was so cool, and it was exactly what Scott needed to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, Scott's mom can say that stuff to him, but because she's his mom, and he, she's his primary caregiver, and does everything to kind of lift him up, he would take that with a slight grain of salt. Yeah. Because he doesn't have a dad. Actually, the dad he does have just sucks. Sucks. Um, to hear that from your father figure, to be like, the world is always in, in, you know, flux. And whether it changes for good or bad is dependent on how it changes. It's not, not your you fault. know, it's not your fault and it's not written in the stars or anything. I think that was just something that Scott really needed to hear. Mm-hmm. And also giving him a $2.50 raise because Deaton said workers' rights. I was like, cool. I guess. I was very annoyed with him in this episode. He is so mysterious for no reason. But anyway. Um, I think it, in part that's to protect Scott. He doesn't, if, if Scott had, knows everything, Scott is in so much more danger. Yes. Was that Floyd? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, I. I'm going to go with Mama McCall. One, because I miss her. Like, I feel like we haven't had any She's time with her this season. She's not been any part season. of this season yet. Um, so it was nice to see her face. And also, like, she's just so good at doing her job and is a normal person and loves Scott. And was able to treat Victoria normally, even though Victoria gave her every opportunity to treat her so strangely <laughs> like because she is a freak. <laughs> fucking psychopath. <laughs> yeah, so All that's right. my alpha. That's a good week. one. Well, I think that about wraps it up, yeah? It's yeah. kind of a long episode, but we had a lot to say about feminism and... We always do. I know. 
if you enjoyed this episode, I hope that you please leave us a review on iTunes. Um, I hope that you guys follow us on social media. We're really active on Twitter and also sometimes Instagram. And maybe if I think about it, Tumblr. Our Instagram and our Twitter handle is at TeenWolf underscore Rewolf. Our Tumblr is at TeenWolfRewolf. And from there, you guys can follow all of our personal social media handles. Uh, if you would actually be interested in the Patreon where I post feed pics, please let me know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If we launch a Patreon, it will be all bonus content and exclusive content for anybody who's interested. Um, uh, like a quarter of a foot pick. Like I will post one feed pic. <laughs> one. Anyway. Uh, other than that, um, we love you guys. We'll be back next week. We'll be on a regular posting schedule. You guys will start getting these episodes every Wednesday again. Because we're not going anywhere for a while. I don't have to go to anywhere. Neither. Europe is gone. Apparently there's a corona outbreak. Europe is gone. (laughs) gone. No, no, no. Apparently there's a corona outbreak in Spain. So my friend who I went with is like, um, are you still sick? I just found out there's a corona outbreak in Spain. Actually, there is like a confirmed case in Chicago. And I was like, Christian. No, (laughs) I'm healthy. I look, listen to how good I sound compared to the last episode. You sound great, but now it's my turn. So you have Ill. Corona. C- clearly. It's the only explanation. Guys, if you guys have um, Corona, please tell us the symptoms we need to look out for first. <laughs> yeah. Um, be safe. Be well. Be safe. Be well. We hope you guys are all enjoying your January, even though January is the worst. We hope you see the sun at some point. We haven't week. in weeks. Nope. <laughs> uh, but other than that, we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Awoo. Awoo.